The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome, Welcome. to Data Welcome. Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Data Gurus. This is Seema Vasi, your host. And today I have Vin DeVerbertis, who is the CEO of Savanta. Welcome, Vin. Hello, hello. Good to chat with you, Seema. How are you doing? I am doing well. And you know, just to give you a quick update, you're the first podcast I've ever been on. And I am excited to be your guest because I enjoy chatting with you. And I think people enjoy hearing this chat together. Thank you. Well, I'm honored that this is the first podcast that you're on and you've chosen to be on this one. All right. So Vin, for listeners, give us a little bit of your background and how you got to be where you are today. I am happy to do that. And, you know, Seema, we go back... 20 years, and I tell this story to you all the time, and I'm happy to tell it to everyone, but you know, you were a very senior person at MPD when I was an entry-level confirmed programmer, and I always admire you because, you know, of all the leaders at MPD, you're always extremely approachable, and I worked at MPD for maybe three years as a programmer, and I went from a programmer to uh, online operations, and this was in the, the dawn of online, and I think it makes me old saying that, but the one thing about research is the slow and, and unsexy industry. Things that probably have moved over, you know, research was a little bit slower. And believe it or not, in, in 2021, I feel like I still say those things. But then I started, I worked at a company called Carbon View with uh, Rick Rogers, who's now the COO of Lucid, who did a fantastic deal last week. And then I joined the E-Rewards and I worked there for 11 years, you know, across all of uh, the Americas type work. And then... I met a very fine gentleman named Roger Perone who introduced me to what was called Next 15, our holding company, but we were called MIG Global. And, you know, he had a, a group of businesses in the UK that the goal was to bring them over to America. And I said, okay, that sounds like a great job. And we started bringing things over. And the challenge we had was that some of these smaller businesses that have eight people, 15 people have really nice clients, but... It's hard to run them all independently when you have, you know, five CEOs and each company average size is 12 people. So you have to have some economy of scale. And in doing so, we built Savannah starting February 1st, 2019, and we're about two, three years into it. And it's been a nice story. In America, you know, we're going to start next year, probably north of 20 million billable. Great. Which is a great business. And half of that, I would say, is organic. And the other half, we've just acquired so we've done three deals along the way. One was a company called Think Online, then HSR Associates, and then MSI. So we are a house of brands that comes together under the research umbrella of Savanta at Next15 Communications. And for those that don't know, Next15 Communications is public on the London Stock Exchange, and we have a market cap north of a billion. So it's a good-sized company now. It's a slow-moving unicorn, but a unicorn nonetheless. Good for you. That's fantastic. You know, when I thought of you at Research Now moving to Savanta, it felt like you had a stop function change in terms of 
skills that you had to acquire, kind of your focus, the way you approached your role. Is that true? Or is am I thinking of this in a different way? You know, it's a good question. I think as the vendor, under the large research firms, you have the most unique view of the field because you just see the trends of people that buy and who's growing and who's not. Yes. And, you know, I've been involved, obviously, from selling sample and other research services to well over probably a thousand agencies globally. And you just see who's doing it well, who may be a little bit being passed up. And you see who's got a global business, whose products are working, whose products are not. And sometimes you're surprised, but most of the times your your guesses are correct. And I think that's always helped me in the fact that a couple of the deals that we've made are people that said, hey, I remember when you did this. Wow, it's great to see you're doing that. I'd love to have a chat. And you know what, Seema, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And you know, we've done three deals in America here and we've been left at the altar three times. And I don't know if there's anything wrong with that because simply put, timings don't work sometimes and sometimes they do. And so let's put into context, to do three deals, how many companies did you actually look at? That is a great question. <laughs> if I'm a baseball player, I'm a low average power hitter, <laughs> which means I miss a lot. But you know, if I, you hit one, you could really drive the ball. Whew. I've reached out to a ton of companies that have either ignored me or politely declined. A couple, maybe not politely declined. I've had conversations with some that I find interesting, but they might not be the right fit. And then, so the first company we acquired was eight folks. Then the next one was 10 and MSI was 30. And that puts our headcount in America, um, give or take one or two, depending on the day, at about 110. So now the company in 2018, I looked at might be too small. Or, you know, maybe I look at it now, I'm at 110. Do I look for the 100 person company, which might be a little too big right now? But it might not be crazy. And the hardest part of the job when you look at acquisitions are finding the right size company that wants to sell to you at the right time. Because, you know, it has to work and both parties have to do it. And really with deals like this, our successes are tied together. And sometimes people don't realize that. But if I buy your business and you don't make a lot of, or if Savanta or Next15 buys your business and we don't make a lot of money on your earnout. That means we didn't do our job very well. And we spent a lot of money on something that's not a great deal. So the more money you make on your earnout, that means that I've secured the business and I've grown it. And that to me is the ultimate success is when you can look someone in the face and say, you know, I shook your hand two years ago and I'm happy to give you 115% of what you thought you were going to get. That is a great feeling. And that's the way our successes are tied together. Yeah, I love that. It's like also saying like, you always want to write high commission checks to salespeople, right? Totally agree. <laughs> it's like good thing to do. I liken that to the earnout example as well. Yeah. You know, sometimes I feel like, you know, talking about, I come from the sales background. You look at them and your eyes bulge out in your head. I have one person in particular, and I will not name the name, but okay. I think we bought them a small island in the Caribbean one year. And <laughs> but they, you know what? They earned it. And sometimes, you know, at a business that has... Um, you think is saturated and someone can figure it out to make a check that size just shows you how much opportunity is out there yeah. and how big this industry actually is. I remember, Vin, you told me a story. And again, you were in charge of at Research Now, a very large public company. 
Am I right in thinking that? And you looked at every department, every person. And just when people thought that account was like maxed out, you grew it by X percentage. Am I remembering that story properly? I think you're on the right path. We learned with one that was, there are sometimes you look at part of it that is, who is your typical buyer? And if you're drawing something up, this is the person you're going to want to buy. And that person's 100% your buyer. Yep. And then when you get good into what you're doing, you know, the person that's 50% your buyer is 50% no, but they're also 50% yes. But you probably just have to speak to them in a different language. And the way I describe it sometimes is, you know, you could be selling crude oil or refined gasoline and people want to buy both. Yep. And how do you know when to put your crude hat on? And how do you know when to put your, your refined gasoline hat on? But in reality, you're selling something that Elon Musk is trying to eradicate anyway. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, so true. Let's talk about the industry. There's so much going on. I mean, every day we heard of NPD two weeks ago, Sint and Lucid, we, you know, your acquisition of MSW. What's going on in our industry from your perspective? You know, I'd love to, you know, I'm going to ask you a question at the end of this, but like, I feel like research has been a cottage industry for a long time. Yep. And it gets dwarfed by marketing and advertising. And it's probably a subset of marketing where the dollars are in there. But then you look at Qualtrics, you know, and then you look at, you know, Research Now obviously has done a, a great job with some of these. And even Savannah, you know, we've done 13 acquisitions and people still say, "Who? I don't know what your company is. And that's probably the right question still. And, you know, if there's a lot of money to be had in research that might be a slower moving industry, why not put a couple of dollars against that to see what you can do? And I think we're starting to see that. Like, we both had, you know, amazing conversations with Armin, you know, from Disco. And, you know, he's holding true to his form and he's raised a lot of money. And, and it's great to see that people are investing in that. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think there is, you know, the spotlight is on the research industry now. And I don't know how long it stays there. But while it's here, you know, and you're seeing 10-figure deals that, that prove that, that people are doing something right. And, you know, for, from your side, what do you see that's interesting? Yeah. The good news is research is penetrating more departments, more people, more functions within the brands, right? It's we're enabling tools to be used at a broader scale. And that's a good thing for our industry, right? And we say it's not held hostage anymore within a one group within an organization. I think there's a fine balance though, right? Those types of when you propagate out to a larger audience, I think that that research tends to be a little bit more simple and it serves a use case that could be quick and informative through a product innovation life cycle, a brand communication quick study. I do still think, and I think it's coming back now, the value of thoughtful, rigorous, analytical research still is a profession that's highly valued and will continue to evolve. And I think people get so frustrated because they feel like that part of our industry is being eradicated. I think you're right. And, you know, I'm gonna like probably say this, you know, in a quicker way, but a lot of times when people use some of these DIY tools, they're under the impression that anyone can be a researcher. And then you see what they put in and you realize everyone cannot be a researcher. Correct, yes. Right? And it is that fine balance of what, of what tool can be used to get what answer for what decision. You know, if I give an example, I think the landscape is so much broader in the fact that 
Ipsos still has incredible market share as a full service agency along many other businesses within their ecosystem. And then you have one pulse, you know, which gets to a conclusion in three questions. And they both play in the same marketing dollar, right? And that area has become so much broader lately that tools help in a lot of areas. And I think you're looking at what can be a human capital tool versus what is a pure SaaS model. And I think sometimes with founders, they think they can be both, but you might make a lot more money off a SaaS valuation than you do off something human capital, even though it might be a lower revenue business but you're going to be valued significantly different. Mm -hmm. And then it does come back to what do you enjoy doing? I agree. Right. Like, you know, I talk about this all the time in like, there are people who are just intellectually curious. They love the art of research and that's okay. Versus somebody who is more tech enabled, likes tech, wants to build cool things. And yeah, might be motivated a little bit more by the higher valuation and raising capital and playing the game in a different way. We had that conversation before and, you know, before we started taping, just talking that, you know, there are companies where the goal is to not turn a profit and have larger growth yes. than to become profitable and some what might be the next Qualtrics or Momentum or whoever you want to describe it. And it's a fine line. And I also think when, you know, investors come into play and these checks aren't any more of, you know, again, people bootstrap companies, but now you have large amounts of money being pumped in. Yeah. Right. You know, these are big numbers. Like, you know, you know, if not, you know, we could probably name, you know, without trying very hard, 10 companies that have raised north of 50 million in the last 12 months during a pandemic. Yep. And, you know, I think that says a lot about research and, and going back to someone that worked as a vendor in 2008, when the world collapsed, if marketing and advertising got hit, you know, a 40% whacked off overnight, Research was always guarded and you never wanted to stop doing the brand tracker and you had less money to spend, but you wanted to get more out of the money you had. Research is a bit bulletproof that way, or the layer of Teflon is stronger than maybe just general marketing services. I remember Todd Johnson, I don't know if you remember this, but he presented a slide saying, you know, during a recession research and he tracked the trends of NPD's revenue. And during times of recession, NPD did so much better because people were so much scared to make bad decisions. And so, you know, to your point, it is something that's durable and helpful to inform those decisions during when times are tough. I agree. And, you know, going back to NPD, you know, I worked there 20 years ago and the longer I've gotten in my career, the more I can appreciate how amazing of a business Todd built. Totally agree. Right. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So you're kind of like a startup in on American soil being, you know, coming from the headquarters in, in the UK and you starting in the US. What was that like? You know, we had that conversation like last week and I was talking to Roger from in the UK and we laughed about it because I'll tell you, there are little silly things like I think I said before, even in this podcast, you know, they hit it out of the park. They have no idea what that means. And they're like, we love your American sports euphemisms, but like, we have no idea what you're talking about. What are you talking about? Yeah. And I find myself saying bits and bobs, which is a very UK centric term. Yeah. And, you know, we've adopted. And I think the, it's funny how many things get lost in English to English translation. I think that is one, even though you speak the same language, culturally, sometimes things are different. And I think it's been great. I think, you know, 
Roger bought, you know, I could tell his story a little bit. He had a five person business and he sold it to next 15 and, you know, and now we have 425 people and I have 110 and, you know, in the UK, there are 300. We roll up at 420 or 425 or whatever the number is. And it's interesting that there are parts of it that work here that don't work there and parts of it that work there that frankly, I've tried here and I was like, it's too saturated. It just doesn't work in this market. And, you know, a lot of times we've both been wrong and a lot of times we've both been right, even if they both don't align to success on our soil. Yeah. So how do you guys integrate businesses? Like, do you guys cross-pollinate? First of all, do you cross-pollinate within the companies you acquire in the U.S., one? And two, do you cross-pollinate U.K. versus U.S.? I would say sometimes, depending on the day, I would say we do. Whether we're successful at it sometimes, that might be another story. But we do. So ideally, we try to make businesses roll under Savanta, right? That's what we do all the time. That's the goal. Sometimes we have client exclusions, which rightfully so, we're able to put up a barrier and keep some of the brand. So Savanta, and we have Savanta MSI. So MSI is now Savanta MSI. But again, not a problem. There are things that aren't competitive that we can roll up. And, you know, these guys are earning, you know, we want their earn out to be successful and we think it will be. And you know, why not put a blockade in the road if you don't need to? And then US, UK, there are parts of it that are challenging to make global. And then parts of it, when you program all your studies offshore in India, we just have to teach them every platform, you know? And frankly, operations and, and finance and shared services are a global function. And, you know, the one interesting thing that's come up is that all the labor laws and, and health insurance laws by state. Yes, which even as an American, you're like, this is miserable. I don't know the answer. Yes, that's probably a law, but you know, no, I've never been there. And I believe the person that says that's a law, but I don't know what it means, right? Like that. <laughs> so if you look at someone from the UK coming to America saying, I don't understand your health insurance. I was like, you're only seeing 10% of it. And I don't understand the other 90% <laughs> either. But you take this money out of your paycheck, you go see this doctor and apparently they charge you this copay. I don't understand why. But just know that probably keep your receipt. You'll have to submit it somewhere and they'll probably reject it. And you'll have to do it again. Right? Like, yes. it's so different. And I think things along those lines are the little things that from someone on either side of the pond, you find trivial. But in reality, it's a lot of work. Yeah. There's a lot of details around that. Yeah. And, you know, we hired our first HR person to help out in America and, you know, my business plan here was turn a profit as quick as you can, kid. You know, I'm not a kid anymore, but, you know, but, you know, that was pretty much it. And the first six months we were putting pieces together and then we started to turn over profit and we turned a profit every month except one. And the reason why was we screwed up accounting. I was going to say to anyone starting a business, if you don't think you need the finance person earlier than you do, you need them earlier than you think you do. So true. So true, right? Because ultimately you had to get out of the backlog and you realize I did that wrong. What is the hardest part of your role? I think the hardest part of my role right now is I would love to have a pipeline of deals that fit my wants right now. And I just don't know if I have them. And I have people that are 60% of the way there. And you know, MSI was 95% of the way there. Because not only the deal fit, but they're genuinely a great team. And some of the other ones I look at, a lot of times, you know, the size does matter because 
you know, Gary Laban once said to me, it doesn't matter if it's a small deal or a big deal, you have to do all the same. Yeah, it's like custom research. And that's exactly it. And I look at some of them and I was like, there's one, I like it. But, you know, if I, if I put all the costs against the deal to do the deal, it's probably not, you know, I'm adding another year to pay the money back. And on a small deal, I'm like, is this worth anyone's time? And rightfully so, you know, I have to get things approved by next 15 that writes the check. And they're like, you know, this might just be too tiny. And I don't think they're wrong, you know? So I would love to say as I've grown, I found pockets of businesses ready to, to fall into our mold. But in reality, it is a lot of work. And, you know, Steve Schlesinger is amazing at selling businesses that want to go into Schlesinger. Like he is great at doing that. And, you know, that's a skill that probably people don't see when you want to do a deal, how hard it is sometimes to actually do that. And right now he does such a fantastic job. Of yeah, it. for sure. And I think, look, I think a lot of it is, I mean, obviously it's the hard kind of facts about a company, their financials, their strategy, the client portfolio. I think the hardest thing is also psychological. Are people ready to sell? And that's really hard. Yeah, I had someone that was a founder and, you know, she was definitely not at retirement age and we met the number and they said no. And then I'm like, okay, like, and I think it was more of what do I do now? What do I do in two years? Or yeah, I always approach this where, you know, the industry's hot and, you know, if the price is right, I have some money. Don't you want to lock in a buyer? Right. And, you know, if you want to stay for 10 more years, go for it. But like, I don't know if the market affords the ability for us to buy a company in two years when you think you're ready to have this conversation. It is that trade-off. And we have that conversation a lot. And sometimes it resonates and sometimes it doesn't. And both answers are right. Because when you're going to do a deal and you're going to take someone's you know, business in exchange for a check, the last thing I would ever want to do is have someone's life you know, that they've worked to build this business and it not turn out that way. And that's just the mojo I would have as a person. Right. Right. Yeah. It's a terrible feeling. You know? Yeah, for sure. And if the timing's not right, then, you know, let's try again later. But those are the interesting topics you, you come up with. And I also think because I, I buy full service research firms, or I would say that's my sweet spot right now. But, you know, from the conversations we've had, you know, that obviously has changed. There aren't a lot of people looking to build full service research firms right now. You know, and everyone wants to build the next tech platform or the next widget. And frankly, they're getting a lot of money and they're valued pretty high. So, you know, it's who am I to tell them they're wrong? But, you know, when you look at the way some of those businesses are being invested in, that might not equate to the mutual success. And when I go into and shake someone's hand, I want it to be 90% plus that it's going to work out. You know, I do think, and I said this in the beginning, like there is going to be a need for smart analysts, research scientists, researchers to put together disparate data sets for clients, right? I mean, there is so much data being generated and different sources. Yeah, it's not your traditional full service, but there is a high need for that. The flip side or the risk in not having that is that I think brands will stop saying, I don't need this data. I can't make any, I can't take any action from it. I'm like seeping in data. And so I think that we'll see more higher-end boutique agencies that will fill that need. I think you're right. And I also think that I was speaking to someone that was not at the CEO summit, but we had a conversation on the phone and it was, we had a 30 minute chat. And what they said was, you know, 
like, I feel like I love doing the $25,000 concept test that I'm, the job is done in 10 days, you know? Yes. But those jobs are the ones that get, I don't know if zappied is a verb, but, you know, they get put in qualtrics or they get zappied and rightfully so, methodified, like all those platforms are doing well. So now instead of doing just the consulting work, you have to do like the super consulting work. Right. <laughs> right? So you already have a business that's driven by human capital and now you have to do superhuman capital work. Because the easier jobs that you were able to do with maybe a little bit of tech or, you know, less skilled human capital are the ones that are going towards the SaaS model. They're automated. Yep. That's exactly right. So, you know, you're competing against either grinding people out to do something at a much quicker pace, or you're just saying, I'll do the super jobs that, are, you know, that are eight times the size, which is great, but they're going to take nine months in field. Right. It's going to be interesting. I agree. I would say last week in our industry, is that not like the busiest week that you've seen of things ever? Yes, I know. Yeah, a test getting 60 million got somehow swept under the rug and, and awesome for them, right? Congratulations. But that was like the third or fourth biggest story that week. Yeah, I know. And it's like, saddle up. Let's see what's coming up in the next couple of weeks, right? Because I mean, I think to the point, we're both seeing a ton of activity. I agree. Right, and a lot of conversations. Vin, thank you so much for joining me today. Come back next year when we can talk about what's going on in the industry. Teams are in flux, but you still have to get your research in field. Partnership with Paradigm Sample means you get our expert focus on every detail of your project. We have access to over 1 million consumers and many business professionals who are eager to voice their opinions and participate in traditional and non-traditional online studies, whether it comes to sampling programming and hosting services or consultation, we are agile and quick to meet your needs. Visit ParadigmSample.com today. Thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.dataguruspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.dataguruspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.